The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. And thanks for tuning in to Leaders Playbook, where you'll discover what emotional intelligence is all about and how to raise yours to be a top performer in business. Now, here's your host, Dr. Rell. Hi, this is Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance, giving you hands-on tools to raise the emotional intelligence for yourself and for others. Today, we're going to look at one of the emotional intelligence competencies, optimism, but we're also going to look at happiness in positive psychology. Some of the questions we'll look at is why is being optimistic important for leaders and how can you develop it? What is this new field of positive psychology and uh, how can it help you? What does it take to be happy at work? And how are women leaders different than men? The answers to those questions then will be the focus of this session. Hi, I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. I'm a psychologist and executive coach and your host. And today, we have the opportunity to talk to Dr. Kathy Greenberg, who is an internationally recognized authority on leadership and human behavior. She's also an executive coach, an author, and a trainer. Currently, she's a founding partner in a new venture called H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People. She has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, London Times, Financial Times, Australia's The Boss, and her most recent book, which we'll get a chance to talk about, is What Happy Women Know. Uh, it has been featured in Oprah, and she also co-authored What Happy Companies Know, How the New Science of Happiness Can Change Your Company for the Better. So let me first say a few words about how this fits in with what we're doing here on Leaders Playbook. This show is all about giving you hands-on tools on each of the different competencies. And why are we talking about emotional intelligence? Well, it's the key from the research to being a star performer. And a star performer is someone operating in the top 10%. Emotional intelligence is defined as understanding and managing yourself and understanding and managing others. So we all know emotions are contagious. And leaders are the emotional thermostat for their team. If the leader is calm, cool, collected, the team most likely is calm, cool, collected. If the leader is frazzled, irritated, short, terse, most likely the team is going to be frazzled, irritated, short, and terse. And so the more that we can get leaders to be in the top 10%, um, the more productive the organization is going to be. Some research shows that leaders in the top 10% produce twice as much revenue as leaders who are in the 89th to 11th percentile. And we've been focusing on what are the specific things that you can do, the uh, micro-initiatives, we'd like to call them, that create macro-impact. We've also talked about how uh, in the brain you can get hijacked, called the amygdala hijack. We've also talked about the mirror neurons, and Dr. Greenberg may mention some of that, about how, how the brain wiring uh, that we're wired to connect and every leader that I've worked with has underestimated the influence over their team. Most of us as leaders are doing our job, doing our tasks, but we just don't realize how much influence we have over others. Therefore, many times we may underperform and so does our team. Uh, at the website leadersplaybook.com, there are a series now of free tools, and we'll be adding to that after this call, 
the EI star profile, the derailleur detector um, to identify strengths, look at any flaws you may have. There's a listening tool. There's the emotional audit. So there's a lot of tools that you can use, pass on to your team. So today we're going to look at optimism, happiness, and positive psychology. So let me first tell you about optimism. Optimism is the ability to see opportunity rather than threat in a setback. Optimism allows a leader to see others positively, expecting the best of them. And this outlook lets uh, us see changes in the future that will be for the better. And there's been a fair amount of research, you know, especially around optimism. Dr. Greenberg will talk a little bit about the research on happiness also. But in regards to optimism, Martin Seligman uh, at the University of Pennsylvania is one of the founders of, of uh, positive psychology and wrote a series of books, Learned Optimism is one of them. And he found that at a MetLife insurance company, that when they were trained in optimism, that they sold 29% more insurance in the first year than pessimists and 139% more in their second year. So just showing you know what the bottom line is for people who are more optimistic. In another study at the American Express Financial um, Advisors, they found that just studying optimism in three months um, gave them a, a rise in the amount of sales that they're having, so much so that they continue to have that training. And one interesting thing you know, about optimism, this one is a little bit more culturally sensitive. Um, some of the research that's done among top executives, let's say in a global food and beverage company, for, for instance, found that optimism was found to predict star performers in America, but not necessarily in Asia, in Europe. Optimism may be uh, the way it's displayed in different ways. In Asia, countries like Japan, Taiwan, India, the can-do attitude may be seen as too bold or too individualistic. Some of the folks at the Hay McBurg Group have done research uh, in this and found that in these cultures, optimism usually manifests itself in more low-key ways. And also, one of the differences um, in Europe, what Americans may see as optimism can simply be seen as arrogance. So those are some basic things about optimism. And I'd like to um, bring on Dr. Kathy Greenberg and have her first give us a little bit about her background. Uh, Kathy, are you there? I'm here. How are you? Oh, great. Great having you on the, on the line. And wanted to check in with you about some of your uh, expertise. First, maybe give a little bit about your background and how is it that you got into the, the field of positive psychology and and just some of the great work that you're doing now with your happy, what happy women you know, what happy leaders know. Okay. Well, originally, uh, I was a uh, physical anthropologist who studied, um, obviously, the sciences of human behavior. And graduating, um, going into the business world, into the work world, um, I went into financial services. And from financial services, I wound up at two of the world's largest consulting firms, both Computer Sciences Corporation as head of their organizational development practice and then at Accenture where I was in their human performance practice mm-hmm. globally and managing about 859 people across cultures and across wow. many projects globally. And um, I was very fortunate to be the head of a program called the Institute for Strategic Change. 
and we worked with Marshall Goldsmith, and Warren Bennis, Edgar Schein, and many luminaries in the leadership world who helped us to understand and articulate how leadership makes a dramatic impact on the performance of individuals, as you were saying earlier in your show, and how they're actually the shadow of an organization's culture, Hmm. or they can be the light of an organization's culture. And so that brought me to where we are today, looking at how happiness creates profit in companies. Okay, that's great. Um, And given you've been in the corporate world, many of our listeners um, are that's where they're at. I know from conversations we've had, you've kind of had your own experience of what that was like for you and, and maybe how that uh, affected you and, the, and some of the happiness and some of the interest in where you're going now. Oh, definitely. And I don't mind sharing with people my own history. Uh, whenever I give lectures and speak uh, on the radio or TV or globally at any of my engagements or when I'm working with clients as a coach, I always share my own experiences because why would someone <laughs> want to listen to someone talk about happiness if they didn't have proof that it makes a difference? Uh-huh. And, and really, you know, as one of my mentors, that in my experience um, being a global executive, we give a lot of our heart and soul to many people in many countries on many time zones. We fly, uh, we drink water that is uh, often, you know, not filtered with chemicals that we're used to. Mm. And emotionally and spiritually, we're giving intellectually. And what happened to me was over a five-year period of doing this work globally, um, I wound up losing a child Mm. in my seventh month. I got divorced twice and wound up paying support. Um, I lost both of my parents in my Mm. arms in a very short period of time. Mm. And I, um, I realized, boy, you know, I have a beautiful daughter, but she's in boarding school. I very rarely see her. And I had this exciting, um, very lucrative career uh, where I was helping people all over the world do what they do best as a high performer. And yet here I was suffering emotionally, spiritually, Mm. physically, and intellectually uh, in my own little world of um, what I thought was possibility, but what I realized at the time was being blocked by my own inability to care for myself properly. Mm. And so when my happiness factors started to decrease, my performance decreased. Now, no one ever saw that because Uh we're very good at at executives who are high-performing at hiding that. And eventually my doctors said, you know, Kathy, I hate to tell you this, but you could potentially have two terminal illnesses. Um, You have chronic fatigue immune disorder. And if you don't take some time down and take care of yourself, all these lovely people around the world who care about you and your work with them are going to suffer from not having you in their life. Wow. And so that was a wake-up call. Yeah. Um, that was in 2002. By 2003, luckily for me, Accenture was IPOing. I took an early retirement package and took a year off, got my health back in order, mm-hmm. Uh, wound up at a world-renowned health resort doing coaching for executives and public speaking, uh, bumped into a great guy by the name of Dan Baker, who is one of the fathers of the new science of happiness. And in our work on um, his leadership and happiness in individuals and my work on leadership and happiness in executives, we were able to come up with H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, and started the What Happy Brands books based on what happy people know followed by what happy companies know. 
which is bringing about happiness and profitability in companies, creating an environment of creativity, collaboration, and um, teaching people how emotions can reset the brain biologically and how that affects group dynamics culturally. And then our latest book, What Happy Women Know, is based on the happiness traps that both working and non-working women both fall into that lead them to believe that they are happy and successful. And in most cases, uh, they are, but it's very easy to teach women how to come to grips with when they are truly taking care of themselves, like me, mm-hmm. and when they are truly taking care of others at the risk to themselves. Oh, that's, this is great. Um, so I want to dig deeper into, into some of the things, especially around uh, what happy women know and some of the happy happiness traps. Um, given that you and I are both in organizations and your, your story uh, is, is so moving, uh, there's an executive I'm working with now who every single night uh, is on a conference call and I've probably been working with her about, uh, you know, over a year, year and a half, to try to get more balance in her life. Does she need to get on this conference call? Uh, and, you know, it's usually from 10 o'clock to 12, 12 or 1 o'clock that she's talking to China. Uh, and she told me, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna create some boundaries now, and I'm gonna get off the phone by 12 o'clock midnight. Oh. <laughs> and I of, remember those days. And that's what that's kind of what I said. I said, "Well, what about ten o'clock or nine thirty? I mean, so you at least have a couple hours." But she thought in her own mind, you know, that she was really, you know, setting some boundaries, getting off at midnight. So maybe before we we go to the first break, what would what's some of the biggest learnings that you've got from being some of the big uh, consulting firms that you're in? Well, I, I will tell you that there are some distinctions between men and women and their leadership styles, but more richly from the work we're doing in positive psychology, we know that the word fear has a very distinct survival basis. Mm -hmm. We can talk about that more, but men fear not having enough. Women fear not being enough. Mm -hmm. And so boundaries will be very clearly laid in one of those two frameworks, whether you're a man or a woman. Let me repeat that, and then we'll we'll go to the break. So, for fear for men is not having enough, and for women, you're saying is not being enough. And then, when we come back from the break uh, with Dr. Kathy Greenberg, we'll explore this some more. This is Leaders Playbook. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. 
Once upon a time, there lived three energy hogs. Now, an energy hog is what you have when humans waste energy. One day, the three energy hogs set out to find themselves a cottage. Let's look for leaky windows, said the first energy hog, for he knew that would waste energy. Let's look for leaky doors, said the second. Let's look for a swing set, said the third, for he had more blubber than brains. So they set off down the road. Presently, they came upon a tiny cottage where dwelt a clever girl named Dreadylocks. I hope it has leaky windows, cried the first energy hog. I hope it has leaky doors, cried the second. I hope it has a bathroom, cried the third, for only his brains were smaller than his bladder. But Dreadylocks liked playing cool games at energyhog.org. And from energyhog.org, she learned how to use energy wisely. So the three energy hogs were forced to look elsewhere to waste energy and had to use the disgusting restroom at the gas station down the road. And the moral of the story is, to use energy wisely, log on to energyhog.org or waste not, hog not. This public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Homeowners, real estate investors, bankers, listen up and tune in to Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight, the show that breaks it all down and gives it to you straight. Are you at risk of foreclosure? Interested in buying a foreclosed property? Mark Bull has the answers to the questions you might forget to ask. Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight broadcasts live on the Voice America Business Channel, Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific. You can't afford not to tune in. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. If you have a question for Dr. Nadler, feel free to email him at rnadler at truenorthleadership.com. Now, back to Dr. Rell. Hi, this is Leaders Playbook. Tools for Top Performance, and we're talking with Dr. Kathy Greenberg, uh, an expert on happiness. And we just left after the break talking about fear and that men experience fear as not having enough and that women experience fear as not being enough. Maybe, Kathy, you can kind of tell us more about that. Sure. Well, let's go back to the word fear, F-E-A-R. And I always tell people fear is something that is a survival-based behavior, and it's absolutely necessary for us to be safe, you know, to be able to have intuition around things that might put us at risk. Uh, we know that the brain is loaded with uh, little organs that sense fear, like the amygdala that actually tracks fear. But fear in my book is easily remembered as what I call false evidence appearing real. And uh, it's the, obviously the letters of fear, false mm-hmm. evidence appearing real. And this is how we can easily look at the male and female sides of fear because it is false evidence, but it appears very real. And to a man, it appears as, do I represent success in life by those things that I have acquired, Mm. by those things and resources Mm -hmm. that I can provide for my spouse, Mm -hmm. for my children, for my family? And do I have what we are really familiar with, really, the accoutrement of success? You know, do I have the executive office? Do I have the executive car? Do I look like a leader? Mm-hmm. Now, a woman, on the other hand, from a very evolutionary perspective, looks at the social ramifications of inclusion. Do I, as an executive woman, feel like I belong to the right levels of decision makers? And will I be able to continue to be a part of those social networks so that I can influence the outcome? 
Mm. Am I a good enough mother? Am I a good enough sister, Mm -hmm. daughter, boss, employee? Uh, Do I do all those things that is expected of me as a female in our society that stereotypes me as being a success? Mm -hmm. So those two things are very strong motivators for both feeling optimistic and Mm possibility-oriented and can, in fact, be very huge influencers in one's ability to be good leaders. And so one of the things I'm hearing that you're saying is that, that women, and this goes into some of the emotional intelligence uh, world and research, are just a lot more relationship-oriented. All the things you said about being enough, in it, and they kind of check off the boxes for each of their key relationships. Yes, and women, you know, we talk about PMS, but we in the field of misplaced fear talk about CMS, chronic meeting syndrome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we also talk about HSD, hyperscheduling disorder. HSD. HSD, hyperscheduled disorder. Oh, that's good. And CMS, chronic meeting syndrome. Uh-huh. And uh, because we want to be a part of those societies, those social committees, those meeting infrastructure teams that help others get their jobs done, we want to be decision makers in in those areas and unfortunately we overschedule ourselves mm-hmm. uh to uh to participate and we're not doing it knowingly we are doing it as a right. part of our if you will kind of sense of purpose and responsibility mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right right so a sense of contribution and really being able to uh give to others um so tell me a little bit and we'll we'll focus more on on the your newest book what happy women know but just say, from if someone's not familiar with the field of positive psychology, I, I talked a little bit about Seligman in the beginning, mm-hmm. but maybe just give us kind of a, an, an overview of, you know, what is positive psychology and where does it come from, and then how have you been using that um, in your work in organizations? Well, first of all, um, I just want to be clear with your audience that I am not a psychologist. Um, I'm a behavioral scientist, but I have been studying the area of positive psychology as it relates to happiness and the new science of happiness now mm-hmm. for about five years. And uh, to my knowledge, the history of positive psychology comes out of the school of Martin Seligman, I think in 1997. Um, he kind of declared positive psychology uh, a new area of focus. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got involved with positive psychology when I started working with Dr. Dan Baker Mm. when he was the founder of the Life Enhancement Center of Canyon Ranch and then was introduced to all these wonderful ideas of people like Barbara Fredrickson and the Human Flourishing Movement and um, really wanted to incorporate it into the work world, having worked in consulting and seeing the everyday human abuses that people take in the work world, Mm -hmm. I realized, wow, could you imagine if we actually improved our interaction skills, how we could improve performance by helping to allay the negative energy that Mm -hmm. we need to recover? Um, So if we are doing great stuff and being possibility-oriented, we have the adaptability to succeed sometimes three, five, even nine times more than the average person who's not getting that positive-oriented mindset in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's so important, and that's you know something that where you and I are, are aligned is how do you bring some of this positivity to the workforce? One of the things uh, we had someone earlier on who was a brain scientist, and one of the things I've been saying, you know, when you get hijacked, the amygdala. Uh, hijack and you're emotional and you're stressed out 
that you lose IQ points. And part of that is really try to get people's attention and, and really was able to get from him who studies all the functional MRIs and the brain mapping, how much IQ points do you actually lose right. when you're that stressed-out executive? And basically about one standard deviation, about 15 points. And so that's what I've been saying to folks now. You know, and it's just kind of what you're saying, think about almost every organization, most executives are operating with 15 less IQ points on a daily basis. Oh, and that, that actually relates to money. When we looked at data from the Human Resources Management uh, Organization, which is out of Scottsdale, Arizona, Mm -hmm. we uh, were told by their organization that those IQ points that you were just discussing can also be lowered by taking very simple medications that help us during the flu season or, Mm. you know, the hay hay fever season. Right, right. That costs us $1,685 a day per employee, and annually that's over $300 billion a year for the average worker in America. And so we, we are actually losing money when we are either stressed or taking medications mm. for minor illnesses that cost us a fortune. And that's why I can say very, very um, openly with uh, a full heart and absolute no reservation that happiness is profit because when health is suffering mentally or physically, you will reduce performance and your health care costs will go up. Oh, this is great. Let me just kind of go back to that because I think what gets, get, at least gets my attention, you know, as kind of being a, a, a researcher, but I think also bring us to um, my clients. So that's $1,685 a day, $1,685 a day per person is saying uh, that's what's happening with reduced cognitive functioning. Yes. Hmm. Reduced cognitive functioning will cost you money, and that is the average cost per person annually. And if you add up all of the employees right. in the United States and you multiply that yeah. by the possibility that somebody is taking some kind of a very minor, uh, you know, kind of uh, pharmaceutical right. to reduce um, some kind of physical ailment, which will decrease their performance uh-huh. because they're physically stressed, right. then you will, in fact, get a financial reduction in their performance. Yeah. And I will tell you, we have a little quiz that we always put people through in our little seminars, uh-huh. and we ask them what percentage of workers say that their jobs are very or extremely stressful. And the statistics show from the Northwestern National Life Survey, 40% of workers will say that their jobs are very or extremely stressful and 25% of employees view their jobs as the top stressor in their lives, even above money and family issues. I mean, that's that's, that's right. really dramatic. So 20% are saying it's, it's the top stressor. 40% are saying it's very stressful. Right, and 25 are saying it's it's more stressful than, than financial or family problems. And, you know, we all know that work-related stress is one of the principal causes of death from heart and lung mm-hmm. disease, mm-hmm. alcoholism, cirrhosis of the liver, cancer, safety accidents, and currently the work on onset of adult diabetes from the the, uh, National Institute of Health is also being examined. So work-related stress is a big issue. And that's where I think, you know, here we're going back to what what this show is about, what your work is about, is how do we give leaders specific uh, tools, and they don't have to 
change their life entirely, but this is kind of where these micro-initiatives come in. You know, are there a few things that they can change that can that can not only help themselves, like you're saying, but really to, to raise the, the level of performance for their whole team? Oh, absolutely. We have um, in our book What Happy Companies Know, and I know we want to talk about what happy women know, but in our book What Happy Companies Know, we have five happiness principles that anyone can follow very easily that help them in combination to create higher happiness, which relates to higher performance and positive results. In fact, you can increase productivity by 76%. You can increase uh, what we might call life satisfaction as well as job satisfaction by 25%. You can reduce time that it takes to do something by 66%, and you can reduce costs by 33% by using these principles. Do you want to... um Tell us some of these, these five principles. Oh, sure. There, it's it's spelled. We kind of we cheated a little here, Riley. I have to confess. <laughs> uh, the word happy is spelled H A P P Y. The happiness principle spelled H A P I E. So if you just remember them, H A P I E. Uh-huh. It's H is for humble, inclusive leadership, heartfelt leadership. A is for adaptive, enthusiastic, emotionally intelligent employees. P is for profit. For all who contribute, we talk about return on people, not return on investment. Uh-huh. And we talk about I, invigorated stakeholders, E, engaged community partners. And I just want to put a plug in here for a little statistic. Yeah. If you take 10% of your capital investment money and you put it into enhancements that are what we might call capital investments, like office structures, new desks, um, paintings, technology, computers, you're uh-huh. going to get a 3.9% return. If you invested in people and talent, you get 8.9%. That same 10%, 8.9% 8, in people? Almost three times as much if you invested in people instead okay. of capital. Well, we're going to go to our next break, and we're talking with Dr. Uh, Kathy Greenberg here and talking about uh, happiness, and we'll be back in a moment. Line in business. Voice America business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. I know. Being a college freshman is supposed to be tough, but let me tell you about my schedule this semester. All 18 credits. 
Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I have American Lit at 8.05 a.m. And then I only have 15 minutes to get to my 9.15 Ethics and Value Theory class all the way across campus. Then in the afternoon, Calculus 1. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, I have two lectures that go through lunch. Sociology of Families, then Intro to Microbiology. Pre-med. And finally, I have a double lab that ends around 9. P.M. Anyway, I just wanted to say, thank you. If a kid will do whatever it takes to get through college, what will you do to send her there? Please support the United Negro College Fund and call 1-800-332-UNCF because a mind is a terrible thing to waste. A public service brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. Before every word, there is a thought. Before every action, there is a thought. If everything starts with a leader, what happens when leaders around the world start to think and do things differently? I'm thinking the world will change. Evolve the leader. Evolve the company. Change the world. Join Susan Kavanaugh for Summit Speak. All Leaders Rise. Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. If you have a question for Dr. Nadler, feel free to email him at rnadler at truenorthleadership.com. Now, back to Dr. Rell. This is Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. Um, giving you hands-on tools to raise your emotional intelligence. Today we're talking with Dr. Kathy Greenberg, and especially around happiness, um, positive psychology, and, and optimism. And before the break, Kathy, you were telling us about a 10% um, capital investment in office structure versus people. Maybe just to repeat that. Cause, sure. Uh, I think that's an exciting statistic because most people in corporate America today are very much supporting the idea that they need to invest in structure, in computers, in, in all kinds of things that are ergonomic to make their employees higher performers. Mm-hmm. And so that 10% uh, that you invest in capital enhancements uh-huh. will get you a 3.9% return on your investment. But if you take that same 10% and you invest it in people, you get 8.9%, which is almost three right. times. Wow. And so it's it's all about managing your talent, investing in your people, mm-hmm. and keeping them enthusiastic and giving them a sense of purpose and making sure that their talent fits the right role that you have for them. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about um, that their talent fits, um, you know, and, sure. how do you, and how do you do that because uh, on this show they've had the uh, EI Star profile and a couple of assessments and, and the focus really is on on strengths, so maybe talk about how to how do you work with strengths and you know taking that to help them develop more and help their people develop more. Well, there's a very basic principle that I believe Barbara Fredrickson came up with, which is called the um, the idea of of building from your strengths. Right. And the idea here is every one of us knows when we are in a, a state of flow, or as our friends out there like to say uh, from Csikszentmihalyi, a feeling of flow, a feeling that they are doing something without any effort. Right. And those are where we find our strengths. 
because those are things we do naturally, whether somebody pays us to do them or not. Mm -hmm. And those strengths are skills and talents and gifts that we have as individuals that we actually leverage in our corporate workplaces or in our profit or not-for-profit workplaces. And we don't measure those often, and we should. Those things are what create the optimal condition that allows for the ultimate engagement of our mission at work. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, good people practices can increase shareholder three times their value, and a negative uh, environment will increase stress Pardon me, <clears throat> by even talking about stress stresses me, <laughs> by by 48%. And, um, say, that, say that last one again. That um, negative, uh-huh. negative speak or negative culture or negative conditions okay. within a work environment right. increases stress by 48%. Mm. And so it's very, very important that our strengths play through when we're in that condition, that optimal condition right. that allows for our ultimate engagement. And they could be things that we didn't really assess in the past because we didn't know they were strengths. But what we need to do is take a moment each day and look at those things we did well. Mm-hmm. We need to actually make a list and say, right. okay, I did this, I did this, I did this. Even one or two or three things are plenty. Right. Okay, some people get crazy with their list. You only need <laughs> one, two, or three things. Uh-huh. And then you say, okay, I did these things really well. How did I do the... Did, how did I do those well? Yeah. Who was I with when I did them well? What were the conditions under which I did them well? And that's called building on your strengths. Uh-huh. You broaden and build. So the next time you do something, you use yeah. those personal strengths to build on. Well, it's, it's, it's amazing because I have a similar model kind of using this edge work model of when you had a success, um, what did you do to bring that success about? You know, there's a series of tasks and steps. And people's first answer is, I don't know, I just did it. <laughs> and it becomes such a shame versus saying, well, okay, give me your second and third answer because you certainly did things. But it is surprising that you know people don't necessarily deconstruct their successes to find out how they did it so that they could repeat it. That's right. Now, in the military, they call that an after-action review. That's right, right. And we know that nothing ever gets done in the military until an after-action review gets done. So uh-huh. shouldn't we as individuals who are trying to build on our strengths always use your tool and yeah. always go through an after action review when we've been successful? What I find interesting is that most people instead of being optimistic and positive about their achievements, mm-hmm. focus on what they didn't do yep. well and they get so caught up in the negative looping. Right. They stress themselves out trying to figure out what they have to do next instead of flowing yeah. Into what they have to do next, knowing that they have done something very well. Well, and that's, it's almost in our role to really hold that conversation. You know, I think great leaders give people a target to think about. And if you don't give them the target around what's positive and, and accurate that they did, it's almost by default they go to the more, better, faster, more, better, faster, which is that loop you're talking about. Well, going back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, I hope you don't mind. No. Women are actually more relationship-centered than their male counterparts as leaders, Mm -hmm. and some of their strengths that distinguish themselves are they actually have uh, 11% more neurons for language, Mm. which means they have more capacity for language and hearing Mm -hmm. than their male counterparts, and that may also be why He never answers when she calls. (laughs) Uh And also, the prefrontal cortex matures earlier in women, which is 
why women in general may have more patience than men. They've practiced it longer. Mm. Um, the hippocampus, which is responsible for emotional memory, uh, is larger in a woman. Oh. And interestingly enough, the amygdala, that little survival right. um, organ we've been talking about, is actually smaller in women, and therefore we take less physical risk, risk than our male counterparts. Oh, that's interesting. So interestingly enough, evolution will play a role in how happiness is reflected by gender uh-huh. and also how performance is reflected by gender. And I don't want all those people who are listening to say, oh, well, Kathy's saying that women do this better than men. No, what I'm saying is we have skills and capabilities, strengths that are different mm-hmm. than our male counterparts mm-hmm. that we can actually influence with, and we should practice that influence. Another one is we are very good at networking mm-hmm. because, as you know, Riley, we have not had the titles and the uh, the actual salaries and what we might call the you know, the accoutrement of success that our male counterparts have had since the Industrial Revolution Mm -hmm. almost 200 years ago. And as a result, we learned how to build those social networks. Mm -hmm. We learned how to get things done on an informal basis. And so in today's knowledge-based era, we are very good at, at understanding how those social networks work informally and we use them very strategically. And so there are all kinds of strengths that differentiate male and female leadership skills and styles that we haven't even begun to work on. Yeah, this is uh, this is fascinating. You know, and just talking about um, getting things done and the, the the networking. You know that that is one of the influence. The network is one of the key emotional intelligence uh, tools. And how do you get things done through others? You know, versus having, like you said, some of the males may have position power. But another way of saying what you're, I think you're saying about the women is personal power, which a lot of is, is um, accent, uh, building on who they are as a leader and bringing in some of these emotional intelligence tools. Exactly. Now, where men and women are equal, and this is from my experience working in both corporate America and working with both men and women as a coach, is men and women leaders can both intentionally foster appreciation as mm-hmm. a core behavior they certainly can both demonstrate it, and they do it very well. Um, men and women can both use appreciation and interaction collectively to create innovation in the work in the workplace. Um, they actually can understand that the mission that they're standing behind must engage the heart and mind, mm-hmm. and they do that very beautifully. And um, they both know how to reward positive behaviors that they seek within the confines of what their particular corporate structure allows, and they both understand if they have a personal relationship with their employee base, they will find ways on a relationship-based one-on-one to reward those individuals in a, in a more, what we might say, robust and fulfilling right. way. And so all people, men and women as leaders, can do those things to create a happy company. <clears throat> These are, are, are great things. Um, just for all of us to know kind of what's what men do well, what women do well. And let's go to a little bit more of some of the maybe the key findings, you know, that you have and what happy women know. I know when we were talking about that, you talked about um, some of the uh what were the five five factors that you had for the women? Oh yeah, we had about um we have six core 
happiness traps and just you know this is what I want this is where I really want to call you Dr. Rell you know like <laughs> Dr. Phil right right uh, when we looked at uh, hundreds of women over a period of time and I just want to preface this uh, Dr. Dan Baker who was the founder of the Life Enhancement Center Canyon Ranch spoke to thousands of women during his 20 years as a behavioral health specialist mm-hmm. at Canyon Ranch and uh, we interviewed about a hundred of these women for the book. Okay. Now, here's the key. Yeah. Number one, all of these women are successful in life despite the fact, like myself, they either lost children, had a debilitating or possibly terminal illness, uh, lost what was important to them, or came through a mental challenge or mental illness or spiritual challenge or spiritual illness or physical challenge and all of them realize that in passing through these very um, I want to say kind of debilitating emotional states uh-huh. that they were able to come out on the other end better more fulfilled and able to help others okay good well we'll um, follow up on this on what these core happiness traps are and I want to hear uh, more about that when we come back from the break, this is Leaders Playbook Tools for Top Performance. The Bottom Line in Business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Dad, let's sing that bedtime song. Rock-a-bye, baby, by Newton's treetop. His first law of motion makes sure you won't stop. The same rules of physics apply to a ball. While gravity is a force that makes things fall. By the sixth grade, many girls lose interest in math and science, but it's never too early to set your daughter's future in motion. For some simple ideas, go to girlsgotech.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Girl Scouts of USA and Ad Council. 
the Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. If you have a question for Dr. Nadler, feel free to email him at rnadler at truenorthleadership.com. Now, back to Dr. Rell. This is Leaders Playbook, tools for top performance. We're talking with Dr. Kathy Greenberg. And before the break, she was just um, sharing with us a study of 100 women that they interviewed. And all these women passed through some kind of hardship, struggle, physical uh, issues, and I guess out of that, you're going to tell us about the six core happiness traps. That's right. We were able to call these happiness traps that each of these women and probably hundreds and thousands more fell into and through their own trials and tribulations realized that these traps were holding them back but came through them on the other side and built in their own kind of moment of of aha, a capability to help others transcend these traps. So I'll just go through them yeah. very briefly, and if you want to ask me any questions about them or okay. dive into them, just pick one. One that we all feel very strongly about, which we know exists, is perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a disease that uh, many of us have, and it shows up in different ways. It could be around our work, around our looks, around our cooking, how we prepare our children for school, uh, whether we, in fact, are good wives. So there's a million different ways that perfectionism plays out. Uh, another one, which is an important one, really, is revenge, holding a grudge. Mm-hmm. And that's because it becomes a very stress-induced behavior. Uh, when we are holding a grudge, we are actually inducing a form of aggression, mm-hmm. and that reduces our ability to fight illness because we are, in fact, strangling our immune system. Mm-hmm. And we might as well be invoking cancer. That's how bad it is. And so some of that is kind of holding on, holding on to what's true for them or not speaking the truth. Yes, and it's also, you know, here's what I'd like to say for anybody who's listening, man or woman. When you hold a grudge, you're hurting yourself. You are not hurting the person mm-hmm. for whom you have anger or sure. resentment. And if you forgive them, you free yourself up. Mm-hmm. It's not about forgiving them. It's about freeing yourself up of mm. that energy. Mm -hmm. Um, Another big one is what would I be without, and you fill in the blank. It could be a man, him, my husband, my children, my career, my Gucci bag. Um, And as insane as it may sound, um, some people need their status symbols in order to be important. I have worked with several executives who have lost their jobs, who have lost their titles, and in the process their families have lost their social standing. And it's it's huge for them to be excluded from what used to be right. an inner circle. And so, what would I be without? Is a it's torturous. Yeah, yeah. Another big one, and this is the one I fell into: uh-huh. circling the track, career seeking beyond reason. And my one of my professors, who is the father of the biology uh, of optimism uh, book, um, Lionel Tiger. Uh, once said to me, you know, I don't understand why women give up reproductive success for productive success. Mm. And you're talking to a woman here who's made a lot of money and who's done very well in her life. And I have one child who I'm very proud of who's now 26. And people still to this day will say to me, Relly, so you only had one child. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, yes, and I'm happy with that child. (laughs) Right, right, that's enough. 
Right. But, you know, some people, uh, as you know from uh, many people that you work with, uh, will find great satisfaction in their careers because we spend more time with our workmates than we do with our family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one is people-pleasing. Uh, this is one that is very contagious, and it's one that is self-motivating because we love, as human beings, with our social brain to be a part of a social network, mm-hmm. and people-pleasing is something that we do very well. And so stopping it, and becoming self-motivated to please ourselves is very difficult, and sometimes we have to actually teach people how to do that. And I think, let me say something about that. That one, I think, in particular, from a coaching standpoint, uh, happens a lot when you ask someone, so, you know, what do you like to do, and what's important for you, and and where are you at that? And you just see this glazed-over look like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) What is there? I think that self-awareness, that exploring, and I think going back to what you said earlier, sometimes just having them keep a journal about what was the most exciting thing for you today or what brought you the most pleasure. And uh, can you help people kind of tap into some of that passion that they may not really have? Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk about a tool that you're going to give away today for all of your listeners on energy that will help them put that people-pleasing into balance. Oh, good, good. Okay. And the last one on the list, which is one of my favorites, is wanton wanting. And I'll say that again, wanton Wanting, And that means going and obtaining things that you don't even want, but because somebody else has it or somebody else told you you had to have it, you go out and get it. I can't tell you how many times people will see uh, my BlackBerry, which is probably a year old now, Uh and they'll say, boy, have you seen the new BlackBerry? And you're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I better go buy one of those right right away because somebody's saying that my BlackBerry's dated. Yeah. Uh, and so you get into wanton wanting. Now, there's nothing wrong with my BlackBerry. Right. But because somebody else made me feel like I needed a new one, yeah, yeah. I have to go get it. You know, I have a, my daughter's only 10, and she has this thing where it just goes from one request to another request. And so we actually give her a request quota because, you know, she can just, you know, get something to eat. Okay, now let's do this, and now let's, you know, I want this, I want that. Oh, yeah. And, you know, this time of year, I'm often asked, by many radio stations to come on and talk about this type of behavior, not only in children, but in adults, and then how it crashes after the holiday season yeah. is over. So it's a very dangerous happiness trap, and often we don't think about the ramifications of pulling out our credit card or a checkbook or saying yeah. yes to our children. Right. right. So it's important. Uh, that's, uh, these are great. Um, and so for you, the circling of the career, there was a physical piece. And like I mentioned, the woman I'm working with has already experienced some physical things. But um, are there some ways to pull out of it before something physically happens? Yes. And I will tell you there were three signs that I could have tapped into that gave me an indication that something was going to happen. Um, the first is sleep cycles start to shift. And when you are not sleeping well, mm-hmm you will definitely have a problem physically at some point because you are not giving the body and the brain the right sleep. Okay, so sleep cycles. Number two, um, eating disorders. Mm -hmm. You start eating more sugar because you need the energy because you're not sleeping. And number three for me, which was a big one, was not exercising. If you get in that gym and you exercise, you're going to feel a heck of a lot better. Well, so before we end, um, these are great. Can you tell us a little bit about the tool, which will be on Mm -hmm. 
Playbook.com. Yes, you go to that tool, you fill in the names of work personnel and people and family personnel that you know and love daily, and you put a plus or minus next to each one of their names. You spend more time with those people who you have a plus next to because they give you energy, and you start weeding out the time you spend with the negatives. If it's work-related, you know you have to do it, but keep it in a box. Put a boundary around it. Okay, that's perfect. And that you can get at uh, www.leadersplaybook. Uh, we've been talking with Dr. Kathy Greenberg. Greenberg. Thank you very much, Kathy. This has been very uh, enlightening. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I hope uh, you'll post my website somewhere so if people want to get yes. more of this data, they can go find it. Yep, and we'll have that. And what Happy Women Know is her book, and uh, we'll have that available for folks. So thank you, Kathy. My this, pleasure. This has been Leaders Playbook, Tools for Top Performance. Thank yes. you, and we'll... See and hear you again next week. you've enjoyed this episode of Leaders Playbook with Dr. Relly Nadler. If you would like to learn more about Dr. Rell, or if you would like to email him directly, visit his website at www.truenorthleadership.com. And be sure to join us next Monday for another episode of Leaders Playbook. We'll see you then.